you would turn one more time for this year to 2 Samuel and chapter 21. I'm going to read uh, the remaining two paragraphs beginning at verse 15 and uh, I've asked Jamie Hardick if he would pray God's blessing upon the proclamation of his truth. 2 Samuel 21, 15. And the Philistines had war again with Israel. And David went down and his servants with him and fought against the Philistines. And David waxed faint. And Ishbi Benob, who was of the sons of the giant, the weight of whose spear was 300 shekels of brass in weight, he being girded with a new sword, or with new armor, thought to have slain David. But Abishai, the son of Zeruiah, succored him, and smote the Philistine, and killed him. Then the men of David swear unto him, saying, Thou shalt go no more out with us to battle, that thou quench not the lamp of Israel. And it came to pass after this that there was again war with the Philistines at Gob. Then Shibakai, the Hushathite, slew Saph, who was of the sons of the giants. And there was again war with the Philistines at Gob. And Elhanan, the son of Jarah Oregim, the Bethlehemite, slew Goliath, the Gittite, the staff of whose spear was like a weaver's beam. And there was again war at Gath, where was a man of great stature that had on every hand six fingers and on every foot six toes, four and twenty in number. And he also was born to the giant. And when he defied Israel, Jonathan, the son of Shimei, David's brother, slew him. These four were born to the giant in Gath, and they fell by the hand of David and by the hand of his servants. Let us pray. Holy Father, God of our Lord Jesus Christ, thank you for creation for this day you've given us to come before you to worship you. Let me know that we are unworthy to stand before you and of ourselves. Mm -hmm. Praise you for your son. We know that he is worthy. It is in him we stand before you. Father, we thank you for this day, especially the rain you have provided for us, the abundance of rain. Father, we Thank you for this time we can come listen to the word you have prepared for us through David. We pray that you would speak to us and grant us repentance in the areas in, in which we need repentance, Lord. We pray that you would receive all praise, glory, Amen.
believe I mentioned a number of weeks back when we first stepped into this 21st chapter of 2 Samuel that most writers, virtually all that I consulted, regard chapter 21 through 24, the conclusion of 2 Samuel, they regard these chapters as something of an appendix <clears throat> to the books of Samuel, or to the book of Samuel. But there's a problem with uh, Samuel's appendix. Uh, some critics have suggested that it just be removed. I'm thankful that there aren't that many. Uh, they have put forth their uh, second opinion that an appendectomy is needed to uh, remove this appendix. I believe that uh, those thinking that an appendectomy is in order are indeed out of order themselves. But that doesn't remove the difficulty of determining when some of these things took place. And frankly, different writers are all over different places. And for myself, I have to conclude that God the Holy Spirit has, has guided the gathering together of his word in this book in the way that he would have it. And we can look at it both ways. That is, we can look at it, well, this, this might be something that's been added to the end of the book that actually happened in the middle of David's experience running from Saul, or, or perhaps this happened when after David came to the throne and so on. We don't actually know for certain. We wonder, we wonder if it is to be supposed that it ought to be considered a, a flashback, looking back at these things. Or perhaps it's a prequel. Uh, they, they have become popular. You know what a prequel is. Uh, after the first Superman, then they had to have another movie showing his parents uh, uh, sending him off from Krypton or something uh, that would constitute a prequel. Or, or maybe it's a backstory. Maybe it's just a rerun. We just simply don't know. And so I think that we can leave it at that and just discover what God will show us by his Holy Spirit as we read and study these portions of his word. What the intention of placing them in our Bibles in this particular position is. Regardless of the view that we may take, we have before us in the remains of this chapter an account of some battles. At the very heart, we are provided, or at the very least, we are provided information that is uh, such as we have nowhere else, unless it be in First Chronicles in a brief passage in First Chronicles 20. We're given some answers there, at least, to help us. I'm going to read that portion from 2 Chronicles 4 through 8, 24, verse, I'm sorry, chapter 20, verses 4 through 8. You'll see the 
You'll see the parallel. And it came to pass after this that there arose war at Gezer against the Philistines. Then Sibachai the Hushathite slew Sippai of the sons of the giant, and they were subdued. And there was again war with the Philistines, and Elhanan the son of Jair slew Lami the brother of Goliath the Gittite, the staff of whose spear was like a weaver's beam. And there was again war at Gath, where it was a man of great stature, whose fingers and toes were four and twenty, six on each hand and six on each foot. And he also was born unto the giant. And when he defied Israel, Jonathan, the son of Shimea, David's brother, slew him. These were born unto the giant in Gath, and they fell by the hand of David and by the hand of his servants or his soldiers or his men. You can see the comparisons. You can see how that much of this is repetition of 2 Samuel, and yet there are rather interesting distinctions. We don't know if this first war that's mentioned was at Gezer or whether it was at Gob. We have these distinctions. We don't know if, if Sibachai slew Sippai, uh, here we're told, or in uh, Samuel, we're told that it was Saph that he slew. Most of the writers tell us that these names are variations. The different contributors to these books of Samuel probably had uh, different environments from different regions of the country and where the names were not exactly the same, but we're rather convinced that Saph and Shippai are the same individual. And that Elhanan, the son of Jair, that he is uh, from uh, Bethlehem, or he's from, uh, he's from uh, this uh, region. He's not just Elhanan, the son of Jair, but we find that the one writer uses the term Jare Oregon and speaks about him slaying Goliath the Gittite. I believe that they're speaking about the same incident and the same individuals. They're just using different terminology, different names for these individuals. I don't think there's a great problem. There's agreement in most matters. But the concurrence of these two accounts is this. I hope you noticed. The one thing they agree expressly on is the repetition of there was war again with the Philistines. There was war again with the Philistines. There was war again with the Philistines. This agrees, does it not, with what the scriptures and Christ himself have to say about the children of God, believers in the Lord Jesus Christ. In this life, ye shall have tribulation. Just because you win a battle yesterday doesn't mean you're not going to have a battle today. And how foolish to imagine that that would be the case, that we have any occasion to be able to rest on our laurels, as it were. An important difference between the Samuel and the Chronicles report is the feature with regard to the saving of the life of the king, David. That is totally left out 
of the account in Chronicles. Chronicles has nothing whatever to say about it. While well, 2 Samuel informs us that David waxed faint, as we've read earlier, he waxed faint. And this giant, who was of the sons of the giant, the weight of whose spear was 300 shekels and so on, he being girded with a new sword or with new armor, thought to have slain David. He had every intention. He saw the king of Israel and he looked weak and he looked maybe a little old. Again, we don't know what time in David's life that this transpired. But I, I believe that this very report gives us a, a very strong suggestion, if not a, a good indication, that David was in his later years. And the fact that his men said, you're not going to go out to battle with us anymore. We don't want it. the lamp of Israel to be removed, to be quenched. We don't want you to be killed. What will happen to Israel then? But we're told that this giant came at David with the thought of slaying him, slaying the king of Israel. And we're told simply that Abishai, the son of Zeruiah, succored him or helped him and smote the Philistine and killed him. I wondered as I was reading this and considering this passage and in what meaning uh, what lesson it might have for us as the people of God in the 21st century. And I ask myself, and I wonder if we ask ourselves, if, if we realize, if we realize how much we need to be watched over. Abishai was evidently watching over his king, who was also his uncle, because he saw what this giant was about to do, what his desire against his king and his uncle was. And so he stepped in and slew this giant. But I wonder if we realize that we're being watched over. If we realize that in our lives, in our daily lives, in the years that we have lived. David lived a long life. Probably about 70 years. And it, it doesn't take any deep reading of Samuel, first and second, to realize and recognize that it was full. His life was full of dangerous twists and dangerous turns, ups and downs, if you will. Are our lives not full of ups and downs, full of twists and turns, dangerous? Do we not sometimes take danger to ourselves in a sinful time of our lives? Or do we fail to recognize danger another day, another occasion? Our lives are also like David's, full of twists and turns that are dangerous, but somebody is watching over us. Somebody is keeping us. Somebody is preserving us and protecting us. David was, as I suggested, evidently getting a little older as we see him in this account. This giant, Ishbi Benab, recognized the frailty, it appears, and he recognized it to his advantage, and he was going to take advantage, full advantage of it, to end the life of David. 
king of Israel. He thought that he would be able to kill him easily. Him being somewhat aged and, and weary. Both. But Abishai helped him, suckered him, and slew the giant marauder, the giant Philistine. Have we any true idea of how frail we are? One of the things that we inherited from our father Adam, above all else, and I think it's the father of all sin, is pride. And we're slow to recognize, we're slow to admit how frail we are. How untrustworthy we are, even to our own selves. Or how that our lives hang in a balance. We have only that breath that is in our nostril right now. We don't have any promise, any guarantee of the next breath. But I wonder if we reflect on that very often. If we actually, actually consider it. How the danger that we are in as we walk about every day. But when we reflect on that, we need to reflect on the fact that Jesus Christ is watching over us. He has provided for us. And He has sent His Holy Spirit, another comforter, to watch over us as He intercedes for us at the right hand of God, ever living to intercede for us. What does that mean to us? Does that mean anything to us that our Lord Jesus Christ, our Savior, is at His Father's right hand, always and ever living to intercede for us? When we're about to do something stupid, when we're about to do something sinful, when we're about to be taken down by some giant, if I can put it that way, that he's interceding for us. He's watching over. He knows. He's our Abishai, if I can put it that way. We don't have any true idea of how frail we are. We learn at piecemeal. As our body weakens, as we age, we learn it. Or in other, in other manners, in other ways. If we're in some kind of an accident, we realize when we have broken bones, or worse, how frail, how weak we are, pitifully frail and weak. And then perhaps we consider, and I hope we don't say, boy, was I lucky, because that's not what the truth is. We say the Lord has saved me from this or that. But we also recognize how easily it would have been that we had been killed in that accident or whatever the happenstance was. Do we understand, I'm asking, our, our weakness and vulnerability? I don't know whether David did at that time or not. Maybe if he did, he wouldn't have been in that battle at his age. Or he would have recognized after he had been marching for a while that the old body doesn't take it so well anymore. And he would have asked to be excused. We don't know. We're not told. But 
I ask if we recognize our weakness, our vulnerability, our frailty, uh, our helplessness apart from Christ. We can do all things through Christ, but without me, he can do nothing, he said himself. There's a roaring lion. A roaring lion going about it. A roaring lion that's a giant going about seeking whom he may devour. What protects us from being swallowed up by him at his pleasure whenever he wishes? Were it not, were it not for the fact that Jesus is our helper, our Abishai, the one who succors us, the one who cares for us, if it were not for him standing ready in an instant to help us when Satan assails us with temptation, when Satan assails us with physical harm or whatever. We had been devoured many times over by that roaring lion if it were not for Christ. John Bunyan in his Pilgrim's Progress, which is not only an allegory, but it's a biographical allegory drawn from his own life's experience. If you want confirmation of that truth, just read his Grace Abounding to the Chief of Sinners, which is uh, actually a biography, actually a biography from his own pen. But he speaks of the many dangers that Christians are exposed to in their journey to the celestial city. Just to mention a few, he is confronted by Apollyon, the old serpent, the devil. And we discover, Bunyan discovers to us in this book, this allegory, that this Apollyon has many agents along the pathway to the celestial city doing his bidding, such as Mr. Worldly Wise Man. Have you ever met a Mr. Worldly Wise Man? Telling you how foolish you are going to church every week. Telling how Telling you how foolish you are believing that myth. Mr. Worldly Wise Man. Or Mr. Legality is confronted by our pilgrim as well. And many, many others. On even unto the, the land of giant despair. Where Christian and hopeful were confined in Doubting Castle or giant despair through them. The devil and his agents keep watch for those getting weary, for those who are inclined to turn around and walk back, for those who look weak. These agents are all looking, and Satan himself, that roaring lion, is watching and waiting as well. I was wondering if any of you children, any of you young people know what a new is. It's not just opposite of old. I always pronounced it GNU because I thought new was kind of funny, but it's spelled G-N-U. Do any of you know what a new is? They're sometimes also called wildebeests. They are a type of antelope found in Africa. They have horns and they're something like cows or something like the antelope that we know in 
North America, I suppose. They migrate every year, though. Every year, they must find fresh grazing land for food or starve to death, so they migrate. It's almost like birds at a certain season. You see the flocks heading south. These wildebeest, they're heading for more grazing land. The journey of the, this animal, <clears throat> this migration is from Tanzania's Serengeti Plain to Kenya's Maasai Mara. And is virtually, if you know your United States geography at all, it's virtually the same length, the same distance as going from the tip of Michigan's lower peninsula all the way down to the southernmost point in Florida, Key West. It's about that distance. That's a long way. That's a fur piece, as they say. But these animals, these wildebeest, these news, they do that every year. And there's two million of them, usually in this pack, or whatever you want to call it, this giant herd. Two million going this distance. 3,000 meters, I think they said it was, or something like that, but it amounted to 1,800 miles. How many dangers are they confronted with? How long is our migration through this life? How long is our journey to the celestial city? There are many dangers along the way. Are we related to Abishai? Can we depend upon him to help us, to succor us, as David's nephew did for him? I vividly, and I don't use that loosely, I really remember this film, this nature film. I vividly recall watching a nature film about these wildebeests and this migration. And the cameramen had their cameras on lions that were following those two million wildebeests. And what do you suppose that they were looking for? They were watching for prey, of course. They were looking for their next lunch. Do you know what they watched for? They were keeping their eyes open to see if there were any wildebeests that were old that were sick, that were young, that were weak. Even those little young ones, perhaps, wandering away from mom and dad. Do you know how important it is not to wander away from your mom and dad, children? Here's an illustration. They showed some of these calves not paying attention to where the herd was going or whatever, but they wandered off a little too far from the two million. And they were a lion's next dinner. Recognize the danger that we are in on this pathway. That's just what the devil does, is what these lions do. And that's a good reason for Peter referring to him as a roaring lion.
If he had roared, they would have recognized that he was there. He didn't roar then, or she didn't roar then. Just crouched and waited and crept along, getting closer and closer until it was too late. And the older wildebeest, or the sick wildebeest, or the, the little baby, not baby, but the calf wildebeest, was on the menu. If one isn't paying attention, it means trouble. Watch, Jesus said, watch and pray for God's protection. Peter has told us, be sober, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, as a roaring lion, walketh about seeking whom he may devour, whom withstand steadfast in your faith. You need that faith to know. You need to exercise your faith to know that there are dangers. But you need to exercise your faith to know that Ibishai is watching over your shoulder. Paul says the same sort of thing. That we do not wrestle, wrestle against flesh, but against principalities and powers. That's the danger. That's the Mr. Worldly Wise Man. The Mr. Legality. All of those the judges and all of those in Vanity Fair. Bunyan calls this world a city by the name of Vanity Fair. There's a Vanity Fair going on in the town of Vanity. And it's dangerous to walk through this world. Faithful was martyred in the town of Vanity for his faith. There are dangers lurking. The weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh. It's not of the flesh, it's of the spirit. Through faith, trusting Christ, the one who succors us. The spirit we heard earlier, lusteth against the flesh and the flesh against the spirit. Lust, you know what lust means? I mean, the flesh lust is lusting against the spirit. The flesh is lusting against us. It's that roaring lion. Recognize the danger that we're in. One has well written, and it's in your bulletin. The Christian soldier must avoid two evils. He must not faint or yield in the time of fight. And after a victory, he must not wax insolent and secure. When he has overcome, he is so to behave himself as though he were presently again to be assaulted. Recognize that. This man advises, and I advise, for Satan's temptations, like the waves of the sea, do follow one in the neck of the other. You might think in your pride that you withstood. You know how the waves and the undertow at the beach, if you go out and the, and the waves and the wind are in such a state, you know how that undertow can carry you away. But maybe you feel the waves and all that wasn't much. And then the next one, you weren't ready for it, sweeps you off into the sea. Recognize that you are presently again to be assaulted. 
for temp Satan's temptations, George Donham has said, are like the waves of the sea. They do follow one in the neck of the other, one after the other. Bunyan wrote a little poem. He said in that little ditty, difficulty is behind, fear is before. Though he's got on the hill the lion's roar, a Christian man is never long at ease. When one fright's gone, another doth him seize. Like those waves that Downham spoke of. They just keep coming and coming, but they build up sometimes if you're not dealing with them. Take the helmet of salvation, Paul tells us in Ephesians, and take the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Happy art thou, we read in Deuteronomy. Happy art thou, believer. It says, happy art thou, O Israel, but I say happy art thou, O believer, who is like unto thee, a people saved by Jehovah. The shield of thy help and the sword of thy excellency. You see that? Jehovah, Jehovah Jesus is our helmet. Jehovah Jesus is our shield. Jehovah Jesus, his word is our sword. I mentioned Doubting Castle with Christian and Hopeful thrown in the dungeon because they ventured across the stile. They ventured into the giant despair's land and he found them, caught them, dragged them into Doubting Castle and threw them in the dungeon. And they're lying in the dungeon wondering what to do. The giant's tempting them to kill themselves, destroy yourselves. And he beats them mercilessly every day, morning and evening. And they're wondering what to do. What are we going to do? They're talking with one another, tempted to go ahead and end their lives. Remember the promises of Jesus Christ. Remember the promises of God. I will be with thee. I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. Pilgrim all of a sudden, Christian all of a sudden, that is, said, I forgot to remember. I've got a key in my bosom. It's the promises of God in his word. And he took the key out, opened the door to the dungeon, and off they went free. Remind yourself of the promises of God. We may cry with David. He wrote Psalm 22. We may cry with him. When he cried in verse 19, but be not thou far off, O Jehovah. Thou art my succor. Haste thee to help me. Prayer, the promises. I believe our Father would have us to cry out, to pray unto him for our champion, our Lord Jesus Christ, our Abishai, to cry unto him, to send his spirit to rescue us. 
but even better to keep us from wandering down different paths, to keep us from going over that stile into that forbidden land. Remember David was that great giant killer. You remember how he got so much praise from all the women. Saul has killed his thousands, but David is 10,000. And how that turned Saul against him. He didn't like that. His pride was raised up when he heard that. But David was that famous giant killer. He's the one that killed Goliath. But even this victor over Goliath finds himself in trouble needing help. None of us, if it, we're being very unwise if we, we think that we don't need help. If we think we can do it ourselves. The American way, I did it my way. I did it myself. I don't need you. I don't need you. And sadly, many are saying in effect, I don't need God. I don't need Jesus. Many professing Christians talking like that. Let it never be said of us. This conception of Christ as our champion, author or captain of our salvation, our Abishai, is in Hebrews, the second chapter. It's pronounced in the 10th verse that he is our captain, our champion. But what this amounts to, what this involves, is declared in the, the 18th verse. For in that he himself hath suffered being tempted, he is able to succor them that are tempted. We are told in this context of this, in the, in the verses in that context of Hebrews chapter 2, we're told that it was for this purpose that Christ partook of our flesh and blood. That he might defeat, that he might bring to naught him that had the power of death, that is the devil. Is this not beautifully portrayed in our passage in 2 Samuel? Is this not beautifully portrayed when David is weak, waxing faint, and Abishai comes to help him, to succor him? Beautifully illustrated, I think by Abishai delivering David, by bringing to naught this giant devil who had it in his power to bring death upon David. The Son of God became Emmanuel, God with us. We just passed through that season of the year when the incarnation is somewhat recognized in this way or that, given a nod or whatever. But we don't know exactly when it was, but we do know that it was, that Jesus Christ did come. He did take upon himself, bring our, his nature unto our nature. He became Emmanuel in order to lay down his life for us. He is that sucker. He is that paraclete, you remember, when he said in John that he would send another, underline that word, another paraclete, another comforter, another advocate. That's what he is himself. 
When he says he's going to send another, he's speaking of his leaving, but he's going to send another. That tells us that he himself is our advocate. And if you don't believe it, John, in his first epistle, reminds you. He is the one to succor, to comfort, to advocate for us. The word means, paraclete means call to one's side, to one's aid. Suggests the capability or the adaptability for giving aid. David needed aid from that giant. We need aid from the wickedness all around us, from the giants all around us, from the giants within. We need aid. We need to cry out for that aid. Abishai, the son of Zeruiah, succored him and smote the Philistine. Put that in parallel with for that he himself has suffered being tempted. He is able to succor them that are tempted. David needed a champion, did he not? We need a champion. Christ is our champion, our hero, if you will. Now, I know the term hero has been dragged so low that everyone in the whole country is a hero, everyone in the world is a hero, but I'm talking about a real hero, a real champion. Our Lord Jesus Christ, I believe he's seen with the eye of faith in this text when we see Abishai succoring David. He's seen as our champion, our deliverer, our helper. Is that why, not why he has referred to himself as our advocate? Because he will advocate for us. He comes alongside. He is our paraclete. He is our champion. He has taken upon himself our flesh and blood. In order to succor us, to help us, to come alongside us. We don't know how that, we don't know how that was done. We don't know how it's possible, but we believe through the gift of faith that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. Jesus Christ is the Son of Man. Jesus Christ is Emmanuel, God with us. He came in order to deliver us. We tend to take for granted, we must confess, I believe, the incarnation of the Son of God. But oh, what a, what a cost. What a cost. It's a whole lot more than Christmas trees and candles. It's a whole lot more than nativity scenes. God gave his only begotten son that he might redeem us unto himself. Our champion. What cost? We can't, even, we can't even plumb the depths of, of the cost that would be involved at God giving his only begotten son for that time period that he might redeem his people. He came in the fullness of time. He himself spoke in Psalm 40. I'm convinced that it's the speaking of the pre-incarnate Christ in Psalm 40 when he said 
Lo, I am come. Lo, I, he didn't say, lo, I come. He said, lo, I am come. I am. Says the great I am is saying, I am come. Lo, I am come. In the roll of the book, it is written of me. I delight to do thy will. Oh, my God. And he came. And he succored us. And he was hanged upon that cross and bled and died for our sins that we might be saved, that we might be delivered from our sins, that we might be given forgiveness, that we might receive faith and repentance, that we might receive that new heart. Lo, I come, he said. I delight to do thy will, O oh my God. Let us pray. Father, we confess that we feel that our thanksgiving is so incredibly little placed alongside of the wonder of thy sending thine only begotten of his loving us so much that even while we were sinners he died for us. But we do thank thee and we praise thee and ask for continued help to walk with thee through our Lord Jesus Christ, our champion. And we pray in his name, in the name of the Lord Jesus, amen. You'd stand for the benediction. It's found in 1 Peter. 10 and 11 and the God of all grace who called you unto his eternal glory in Christ after that she have suffered a little while shall himself perfect establish strengthen you to him be the dominion forever and ever amen